This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with Operation Underground Railroad founder Tim Bell. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high performance coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Tim Ballard, former CIA operative and founder of Operation Underground Railroad, focused on rescuing children and eradicating sex trafficking throughout the world, who shares his life and reasons behind starting this incredible organization, telling hair-raising stories from some of the hundreds of covert missions he has conducted and why and how we all can get involved. Uh, Tim, with tears in my eyes, welcome to my show, and I cannot wait to hear hear your story and teach us how we can think and, and do what you do. Dan, thank you so much. Your your, your words are so kind, and I, I'm, I'm honored to be on the show with you. Thank you. So, Tim, let's talk a little bit about your, your background and how you were inspired. What, what uncovered this passion to focus in on child trafficking and how you got involved and, and were, were truly inspired and guided to start Operation Underground Railroad? Well, thanks. So, so for, first of all, you know, when I, when I was working for the government, uh, mostly we were targeting, this is in the early 2000s, we were targeting, targeting the pedophiles who were in receipt of the child pornography or child rape videos, uh, which more accurately depicts what, what it is that they are receiving. Uh, and I was so overcome by the fact that we'd get these bad guys, but we couldn't find the kids in the pictures. So many of the pictures at that time, at least, that were coming in were, were, were foreign children. Um, finally, I had the opportunity to be part of a rescue operation of one of the kids from the video who we intercepted by a child pornographer who was kidnapping this child from Mexico, bringing him across the border. And seeing this child that I recognized in the images, it completely changed my paradigm. My, my perspective completely changed. And I thought, that's it. You know, I mean, this kid ran to my arms. He, he was crying. Five years old, he said, I always remember the first words he said to me, no five-year-old should have to say, he said, I don't belong here. And I just thought, what, what is going on? And how do I change my mission to finding these kids? And that led me on a, on a crazy um, adventure, um, pushing the, the limits of the government jurisdiction to try to go in and infiltrate um, uh, these trafficking rings in, in, throughout the world. Um, and that led me to Colombia and to Haiti. Those are the two countries that I was working in, really pushing the envelope. And I got myself into two situations in both Haiti and Colombia about 2012, where you know I, I went I went down maybe you know under not exactly um, uh, not not exactly honest um, reasons, meaning I. I I knew I was looking for these kids, um, but I went under the guise of basically doing training and consulting a little bit. Um, you know, if, if, if a crime takes place overseas that has nothing to do with a connection back to the United States, um, we don't really have jurisdiction, and, 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 and I just couldn't be okay with that. And so I pushed the envelope, and, and in Colombia, for example, like I put myself in a situation where I was going undercover, and I had made myself the bait 
um, I was supposed to really just be doing a training, um, but I made myself the bait in a, in a pretty significant sting operation. Um, I did the same in Haiti during the same year. Uh, we went down there looking for a little boy who had been kidnapped. Uh, and basically I, it brought me to, you know, a point where I had to decide either I continue working these cases. Um, uh, I mean, if I, if I chose that, I would, that would mean I'd have to quit my job, um, because I, I couldn't sustain what I was doing, um, because they just didn't have the, the jurisdiction that the U S government required for me to work under that power. So, um, those two cases in 2012 and 2013, just it, it brought me to the point of, you know, I, I remember going to my wife and I just said, what, what do we do? Like, I've made myself the bait. There's real kids on the, on the end of this line. This little boy, his name is Gardy, uh, Gardy Marty, who was kidnapped from his church where his father was the pastor in Haiti. And I, I just, I've gone too far. And my wife just, is, her is so simple. You know, she said, if there's kids on the other end that you can't rescue, if you don't quit, then, you know, the answer is simple. You quit, you quit. And, and we know whatever happens, happens, but go get those kids. Um, and that was the beginning of Operation Underground Railroad. And the Columbia case, we we ended up uh, rescuing over 120 kids in that case, believe it or not, in 2014. And we never found the little boy in Haiti. Each of these have crazy stories, by the way, but we never found the little boy yet, but rescued over 100 kids looking for them, including two children that my wife and I ended up adopting. So uh, the, the the story in Columbia, Dan, you'll be happy to know. We, there's there's a feature film. I'd love to show you. Uh, it's done. A Fox produced um, feature film starring Jim Caviezel and Mira Servino uh, that, that were released this summer. Um, I'd love for you to get a, a, a preview of it. We just they just finished it a couple weeks ago. It tells the whole story. Um, but that was that was the beginning of, of of Operation Underground Railroad. We were just in two countries in 2014, and today we're in 26 countries replicating that model and, and infiltrating and working with law enforcement to rescue children from, from trafficking. And to date, we've been able to uh, rescue over 4,000. And we just had our 2,000th arrest last week. So, so things are going, going well from those very humble, kind of uncertain beginnings. Wow. <clears throat> so, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the key questions I love to ask my audiences, and I love to just ask anyone who's an influential influential position what when we meet someone like you tim who has the full support of your wife obviously as a power couple how how do you convert a passion to serve a passion to find meaning into your life into this greater purpose and and that that actually inspires you to quit a job a secure job and focus on service before self. What what triggers what triggered in you that that allowed you to step up and take yourself to the next level and serve your fellow men and women? Well, so I would say there's two triggers. One, I, I explained briefly when I saw a child from the videos. There's one thing to see the videos, but when you when I saw that kid and he ran to me, my life changed right there forever. Um, to think that there's that many kids. I mean, that's, that's, you know, any of us who have children or no children or, you, you know, students, uh, we have nieces, nephews. I mean, there's nothing more sweet than, than, than that innocence. And to think that that is being abused. That was the first trigger for me and, and changed my life. The second one happened in December of 2013 
when I was literally having to make the decision, I was, I was about to turn my gun in and my badge in and go for this. And that first trigger, unfortunately, it should have been, but in my weakness, I think I forgot for a moment. I thought, what am I doing? I have six children I have to take care of. And, and statistically speaking, you know, I have about a 5% chance or less that this nonprofit is going to last more than a year. And we're also privatizing the rescue of kids, which has never really been done before. And, and what makes me think I can do this? So all the what ifs and the doubt. And I started to fall again. Um, and the second trigger that just lit me up, I have to go back to my wife again. And she said to me, she said, you, you, you have two paths before you. You see this, this one path going off on your own to rescue kids and build this nonprofit. She said, how does that look to you? I said, it looks dark and, and scary and I can't see anything. And then she said, well, what does the other path look like? Oh, it's secure. I get to retire when I'm 50 with a pension and, and benefits till I die, you know, a federal employee. And then she said this to me, Dan, it changed my perspective again. It was the most important trigger. She said, imagine that you have a meeting with your maker someday. You're, you're going to die one day. You're going to sit before your maker and he's going to ask you what you did at this crossroads. And when I did that, she then said, okay, now look at those two paths. What do you see? And I was all of a sudden, the secure path looks scary as all get out. You know, I, I, it, I didn't know what, what I would lose or what, what blessings might not come to me because I chose not to pursue these innocent children who I knew I, we could do it. I knew we could rescue them. And then the other path, though still I couldn't see, it, it looked warm and light. And it was amazing what she did to me. I, she ran me through this scenario. And, and I encourage people to do that with whatever they're confronted with um, because all of a sudden you see the world as it really is and not the fear that sometimes clouds our judgment. And after that, it was, I was, there was no turning back. I turned that badge, that gun in and, and off we went. And, and sure enough, you know, we, we were blessed and, and we've grown and, and um, it, it was the, one of the most powerful things that anyone ever taught me, my, my wife in December of 2013. You know, uh, we've been able and privileged and honored to participate in your galas, your fundraising galas and get involved in that part of it. And we always have an opportunity on that special evening, that black tie affair that attracts the who's who of any industry, of any community. I love to hear the story about why and how you came up with the name Operation Underground Railroad. Tie that into our American history so that everybody understands exactly the mindset and heart set behind the beginnings of your organization. Yeah, great question. And that name was not casually placed. Uh, it was very deliberate. And what, what happened, to tell that story, I have to go back to the early 2000s when I was asked to go to undercover school. I was selected and asked to go to undercover school for the purpose of learning how to become a trafficker or a pedophile so that I could infiltrate these, these groups. And I was scared to death. I, you know, how am I going to pretend to be something so grotesque? And when I got to the training, the undercover school back east, I went through my first scenario and I was going up against one of the top undercover operators in the U S government who was role playing, right? He was playing the role of a general smuggler. He didn't know my story. Everybody goes to him with a different story that the, that the, the trainers give them. So most of these guys are there to do, to learn how to go undercover as a drug trafficker or, or arm smuggler. But I was the only one in the group that was given this crazy assignment. So I, I go before this guy, there's cameras in the room, you know, two way mirrors, and they're going to assess me to see if I can do this. And again, this guy has no idea what's coming. So I, I sit down with him. I start bringing up the subject, you know, in this role play scenario of, of children and buying children. This guy turns 
you know, green almost, stands up, says out of roll, which means cut. And he says, what are you guys doing? He talks to the guys through the, through the mirror. You know, what are you guys doing to me? Like, I have a daughter. Like, this is grotesque. He walks off. He walks off the so-called set. And then one of the tr- instructors came up to me and said, Tim, I'll be honest. Like, we're, we're, we're cutting edge here, but we're the first. Like, you know, back in the 2000, 2001, 2002, when this was happening, you know, no one was talking about trafficking. No one knew what it was, really. It, was, it wasn't on the radar. And, and here I was in, in, in this high-end training, and we were writing the curriculum. And so what I did, Dan, is, is because there was no curriculum, I, I turned to the last time slavery existed in abundance. And I thought, well, this is slavery. I know that. But what we're talking about today, you know, these are children who, who don't own their bodies and they're being sold. So I started reading every book I could in lieu of any, you know, present curriculum. I was reading books on the Underground Railroad and Abraham Lincoln and Harriet Tubman, who became my hero. And it was from that history that I learned what was required, everything from how to do undercover operations, um, how to utilize the media to, to bring awareness to a cause that there's, there's no awareness currently. All these problems that, that the, the early abolitionists, especially those in the 19th century, were dealing with, and they solved. That's how this ended. That's how they got, they got enough momentum. And so that, th- those early abolitionists became my teachers. And, and I used them through my career. And so then when I started my own foundation, I knew right away, I don't know what it's going to be called, but it has to be connected to these heroes of mine who, who, who basically taught me uh, to do what I do. And, and thus was born the name Operation Underground Railroad. That's so awesome. So in every other guest on my, my, my podcast called Power Players, I focus in on three Ps. I really believe that in order to be a power player, you have to have a passion, you know, so your why is bigger than your why not. And I believe that you have to have the correct preparation with the mindset that it's not enough to say, I will do my best. We must succeed in doing that, which is necessary. And then you got to have enough passion and, and huevos, if you will, to continuously pursue that passion. Uh, so, the, the, the next question, obviously, is will you share one or two of your most hair-raising experiences and talk about the preparation that goes into planning one of these undercover operations, the, 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 the physical training, the hand-to-hand combat, the mental toughness? Take us through that that phase of the preparation before you actually go on one of these missions and, and then share with us one or two of the hairiest experiences you've had. Sure. So all that physical preparation is absolutely necessary and it practice makes perfect. I mean, you have to go through every scenario in a hand-to-hand combat scenario. What, what if someone comes at you with a gun, with a knife? I mean, that stuff has to be second, secondhand, you know, knowledge. You, ju- you just, you react. Um, and there's no way to do it, but learn it and then practice, practice, practice. Um, but that's not even the most difficult part in going undercover. The, the, truly the most difficult part, again, hearkening back to, to that instructor, what he went through in, in just a simple, uh, uh, in, in just, in just a, a scenario, you know, a role play scenario. I mean, to sit down with that kind of evil and, and be able to, um, to talk normal and, and be happy and act like you're friends with these people. I mean, that, that is so hard. 
Uh, you've seen the images already, right, of these guys raping children, selling children, and now you've got to be their friend for like two months sometimes, as long as it takes to, to get all the evidence and to identify all the children. Um, and so that that is really, really hard. Um, one of the most hair-raising experiences might not you – know, we've been in dangerous situations, you know, going up against armed people and – and, you know, I've, I've had guns pointed at me in, in my undercover capacity, not knowing what to do, how to get out of it. And, and those stories are countless. But uh, the, the most difficult moment I remember was I was working a case and um, we were a week or so from doing the rescue of the children. And I was so, my stomach just ached, right? I mean, having to, every time I'm talking to these guys, I'm hanging out their house. Um, you know, I've got a wire on. So the minute, you know, if, if ever they discover that I have that, um, you know, so, so you're, you're dealing with that, but the stomach churning, you know, element of, 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 of these children and where are they and how long do I have to talk like this? Like pretend that I want this. Um, it, it, it breaks you down. It breaks you down hard and, and um, it, it, it creates actually a, a lot of, you know, mental strain and things you deal with for years. But I remember sitting across the table in Latin America a week away from an operation and one of these traffickers reaches across the table and pulls up a picture of this little girl. She's about seven years old. And he um, described how he had, how he had been raping her and when, and what it feels like and, and how wonderful it is because I wouldn't even get into the details. And I remember thinking, I, I'm, I'm going to either die right now, or I'm going to stand up and grab this guy and throw him into the ocean. We're we were actually on a on a on a on a, on a yacht, and um, it's that kind of uh, mental um, darkness that is more difficult than the physical. Uh, and and then there's the healing from that. You know, then you 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 hopefully get the kid. In that case, we did get the child, and and the guy did go to jail. Uh, and um, but then, you know, trying to come down from that, you come home and you're just a mess and you, you can't, you know, you, you PTSD is a real thing, you know, and, and and all of our operators have some of that. So that is the most dangerous thing, more more than the guns and the knives. I'm telling you, I, I, the more dangerous thing is what how you, you can mentally just be broken. Um, and either, that's where faith and family for me those are my cleansers those are my my saviors really um having a wife that believes in what i'm doing and, and can be there and support me and, and having a faith in a god that, that there is you know there is um redemption for for these children and there's healing and you know if, if i didn't have those things I, I i would either be long gone or i probably would have died somehow <laughs> Um, wow. that's the, that's the secret. Most people don't, don't, don't recognize about, about this kind of work. You know, you, you remind me, you've triggered something in my past. I was the guy in the Reagan white house, uh, between 1983 and 1989, who took Mrs. Reagan's just say no program, positive choice pr program to all 50 States. And I would speak to three or four high schools every single day. So 140 days a, a year, school days a year. You do the math between 83 and 89, I spoke to about 6 million teenagers in thousands and thousands of schools. 
And I had an experience that I've never forgotten that you just reminded me of, Tim, where, you know, I got through doing my best in the high school assembly and we're laughing and we're crying and we're talking about time management. If you're doing something positive, you won't have time to do something negative. And I gave it my best. And I visited a classroom. And as I was walking down towards the classroom, I passed another classroom. The door was open and the teacher was basically saying, you didn't believe all that, mo that motivational crap, did you? I mean, come on, let's get serious. And he was just completely unraveling everything I tried to do to fire these kids up in an, an hour-long assembly. And it's not too far of a stretch for me to remember you telling stories about you putting your life on the line and assembling this amazing team of undercover real-life superheroes and you rescuing the kids only to find out that those you had arrested somehow bought their way out of jail or, or bribed the judges. Can you go to one specific experience where that happened and then related to the pursuit, the last P? It didn't matter. You knew that you did your best. And then on top of that, you went back to see what else you could do to make sure these folks were re-arrested. Do you remember the story you were telling? Yeah, yeah. Crazy story. Yeah, it was, this was in Haiti. Haiti is a country most people don't want to work in for that very reason, um, because of the corruption. So you, you, you go through this whole thing, you can arrest somebody, and if they get out of jail, that's going to be a black, a black mark on your reputation, on your company, um, because the truth, the whole story won't get out. Someone will just be like, oh, you guys failed, you must have done a bad job. And so no one wants to work in Haiti for, for that reason, or other countries that, that, that really uh, have a problem with corruption, but this was a unique case where, again, going it, it goes back to that little boy I mentioned earlier. One of the reasons we started Operation Underground Road was to find this little boy. His name is Gardy, and uh, so that's why we were there. We were in pursuit of him. We found these other traffickers. We had nine traffickers. We had uh, about 27 kids, if I recall co correctly. And I remember the day before the operation, thinking, I don't know if we're going to do this. And I went to the boy's father. His name's Gesno. And I said, guess not. I don't know if I want to do this. I mean, this is really big. This is so big that, you know, these guys are high end. They're, 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 they're wealthy. They're wealthier folks. And they're going to pay their way out of jail. And when that happens, I don't, you know, and, and, and guess no said, Tim, that might happen. That might happen. But if you give up now, you've given up on my son. And I knew he was right. And, and then he told me about this contingency plan that he had in case that happened. So we, we went ahead with the operation because we, I knew what guess no said was right giving up now is giving up on his son forever. And we, we made, it was a successful operation. The bad guys went to jail. The kids were liberated. Uh, and then within a week, I get a phone call in the middle of the night. I was in Washington, DC. I'll never forget two in the morning. I pick up my phone and I hear some guy in broken English and a very sick Haitian Creole accent telling me, I know it was you. We're coming after you. And I didn't let anyone have my personal cell phone. Um, and so, except a few of the police. Uh, and so there I knew exactly what had happened. My phone number got out for one reason, because the corruption did in fact take over. So I called Gesno, the father of the boy, and I say, listen, it happened. He says, I know, I know. And he says, let's implement the, 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 the contingency plan. And I said, Gesno, that contingency plan, is, if we do that, it's the most dangerous thing that I've ever done. And he, and he says, yeah, but it's the only thing. And what his plan was, because we filmed every part of this operation from the, from the second we met the traffickers, on through the arrest and the whole thing, he said we're going to do. And now, our, our, and now, and now you're outed. You're no longer undercover. They know who you are. They know who we are. 
our cover is blown, but we have the truth. So they had to they had to fabricate the judges they paid off had to fabricate a truth about what happened. So they, so they made up a story. We have the truth, you know, completely, you know, irrefutable because it, it was on camera. So our plan was to go into Port-au-Prince. This is contingency, and do a press conference and reveal this the, all of the uh, all, all the footage to uh, the media. And so I said, we're dead. He said, yeah, it's true. You know, the, the Rotary Club of Port-au-Prince, they're, they're going to host this for you. Um, they tell you that for sure they can get you safely to the venue. But after your venue, they, they can't guarantee that you can get back to the airport. <laughs> because oh, you, don't know how, you don't know how high this goes. You don't know how high this goes. And, and they said, one more thing. The media won't come unless you bring a famous Haitian with you. I said, what? Like, who's a famous Haitian? So they gave me a list. On the, num- the top of the list was a congresswoman, first congresswoman from Haiti, um, uh, the, you know, the, who, who, whose roots are from Haiti, uh, and the first uh, black uh, GOP congresswoman of all time. And, her name, and they said her name was Mia Love, and there she is on the list. And I, they said, you've got to find her, Tim. You've got to find her, and you've got to see if she'll come with you, because if, if someone like her doesn't come, the media's not going to come. And I said, are you kidding me? Do you guys know that I only know one congresswoman? <laughs> And it happens to be my own congresswoman who happens to live about three, three miles from my house. And it's Mia Love. And they said, what? They had no idea. It was like this providential moment. So, so I call Mia. I have her cell phone. I call her. I said, listen, Mia, I'm going to ask you something. As a friend, I would advise you to say no to what I'm going to ask you. Um, as, the, as, the, as the CEO of Operation Underground Railroad, I'm still asking you to say yes. And I told her. And I said, this is super dangerous. But... I don't know what else to do. And she didn't even bat an eye. She said, I'm in, I'm in, let's go. So wow. we go down there wow. and we, we, we lay it all out. And Mia stands proud and gives her, and she speaks fluent Creole, right? Haitian Creole. And she got the attention and we got a, we got a, someone approached us that night. Some shifty guy was standing in the back of the room. I had my eyes on him. He approached us as we were walking out. I mean, and Dan, we're walking out thinking, you know, we're looking for the gunfire at this point. Like, you know, we just, we just busted out who, we don't know how high it goes. This guy walks up to me because I'm from the president's office. The president wants to see you first thing in the morning. And I thought, we're dead. Oh, wow. We're gone. <laughs> oh and, my and, 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 I, and I thought, that, you know, I don't know if, if he really is a president's guy. or So we waited in the morning and, and this, this, this entourage pulled up. It looked legit. And we, we prayed over it and said, what do we do? Like, you know what? Let's just let's go for it. So we jumped in and um, sure enough, took us to the, the presidential palace. Even as we were rolling into the palace, I was still suspicious. Like, are we going to be, you know, are we going to be thrown into a dungeon or, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. But he, the president met us. Mia got right in his face, busted out her, her Haitian Creole and told him, look, you can't let this happen in your country. These are, these are real children. I mean, she, this guy stood up and said, whatever you want me to do, Congresswoman, I'm going to do. Um, and at that moment, he committed to re, reissuing the arrest warrants with now the truth that he possessed. And, and sure enough, we were able to go back in the coming weeks and months and rearrest those and others. And we actually rescued other children who we didn't know existed before we had the opportunity to rearrest the traffickers. So it was an amazing story. And it really it, it, it is it's about, you know, persistence. How far are you willing to go? You know, because you can always find an excuse to, to, to say no to anything. Right. And there's always a reason to say no. Um and, uh, you know, being persistent and finding the reason to say yes, even in the face of death, um, you know, that was something that, that, that my team and especially in this case, 
you know, former Congressman Mia Love was was willing and able to do, and and because of that, children were free, were set free from from sex slavery. Wow, and it 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 breeds the the old story about the starfish. You know, there's so many hundreds of thousands of children. Maybe that's an exaggeration. How many do you think are involved in? Sex oh, there's trafficking? millions, millions every year. Right? We think there's millions every year. Yep. And so someone could say, ah, Tim, you know, give up. You can't possibly save the world. You can't possibly make that big of a difference. And your response, obviously, has made a difference to that one. That's right. So let's, That's uh, right. let's wind down our time here. Passion, preparation, and pursuit of that passion. What I've done with all my other guests, my friend, is to focus in on Professor Randy Powell. She was famous for coining the speech title, Last Lecture. So I want I want my listeners to have one Tim Ballard takeaway. So if you had one day to live, my friend, if you could consolidate one message to the world, what would it be? It would be to get outside yourself and and love your neighbor. Uh, it's 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 the key to success. One of our, our biggest donors, our single biggest donor is Tony Robbins. Yeah. And he actually taught that principle. Um, and he's taught it to me in, in even deeper ways on a personal level that the secret to living is giving. And uh, it, it truly is a, a, a truth, right? It, when you give of yourself, first of all, you're, you're, you're helping someone, which is so important. You're serving God and man in that way. Um, but, you know, in my mind, you know, the, the science behind this of giving is crazy. To me, it's God given, it's God induced and, and designed. Uh, but the, you know, when when you give of yourself, what you get in return immediately, your body actually releases this, this chemical uh, reaction, this this chemical cocktail of of these beautiful, you know, uh, the, um, oxytocin and serotonin and all these things that then provide you with you know crazy uh, attributes that you that anyone wants, everything from creativity to optimism to courage, things we all need. Uh, it's like God blesses you right away, even just in, through, through the science of the physiological parts of the body. Um, just give, 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 give. And not only are you serving others, but you're serving yourself and allowing yourself to then do greater things. So that's it. Love one another and, and believe in that principle. And it, it makes all the difference. It makes you a happy person. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest has been Tim Ballard. And I want to have you on again, brother, because... You know, I went to Erbil and Mosul, got a little street fight. We'll have to talk about that off the air. And up into Kurdistan. And I want to, I want the world to know that Operation, Operation Underground Railroad, you founded, and it's focused on sex trafficking, but the good work you're doing with Glenn Beck Foundation and going to the Syrian border and the refugee camps, um, you truly are an angel on this earth, you and your wife, a power couple. And it ties right into how I usually conclude. So. I love to say this with all due respect to you and what you've taught us, Tim. We all need to remember when you finally decide to be a power player, the power play begins in you. So until next time, as Tim Ballard has so eloquently inspired us to do, quantify your takeaway and go make a power play. I love what you said, Tim, quoting... Tony Robbins, uh, the secret to living is giving. Thanks so much, brother. I appreciate you, and God bless you and your family. Thank you so much, Dan. Honored to be on your show.
The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.